Super Talk Mississippi media production. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Now we're going to turn the page and move over to my friend Jeff Duncan. He's a writer and columnist for The Athletic. He's covered the Saints longer than anyone else in history. And as I mentioned to Corey Christie during the, uh, uh, during the break, Jeff is sort of a New Orleans aficionado. That's for, that is for definitely sure. But he's a sports expert in general, so I look forward to having this conversation. But it's good to meet. Uh, one of the things about this show is that when we have this sort of handoff between guests on Skype, I get the opportunity to introduce Jeff to whoever was there before. In this case, it was uh, Corey Christie from the uh, Maritime and Seafood Museum. And as it turns out, you're coming over to get your shot, and uh, you're going to have this opportunity to maybe go visit with Corey. But that's kind of one of the cool things you get to do when you uh, connect with us on Coastview. Yeah, you have so many great guests, and uh, I didn't even know that existed, see? So I learned something uh, by yeah. uh, listening to you and watching your show and getting to experience uh, all the great stuff over in that area. I was over actually on Monday over in Bay St. Louis and past Christian area, the last good day of weather we had and enjoying uh, a nice run along the beach over there uh, before all this bad stuff came and uh, inundated us. Yeah. 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 It was really challenging. Look, it was a lot to talk about. Actually, you wrote a great piece on the athletic about the NCAA tournament has everything college football players playoffs do not. And we will talk about that. You and I mentioned during the break that there was this great availability that occurred in the last couple of days with uh, Jameis Winston. And I watched the whole thing and he was incredibly disclosing and he was focused. He was actually emotional when he talked about Drew Brees. We'll talk about that. And then, you know, Drew Brees continues to take the tour uh, as he as he is honored leaving the city and you probably can't honor this guy enough as, as he, as he, uh, as he does what he's going to do now working for NBC and he'll be, he'll be a household name for many years to come, but a lot to talk about, isn't there, buddy? Well, I thought the Jameis Winston, uh, press briefing that we were on was, um, it kind of gave a window, I think for fans to see why the saints are so high on him. Uh, Everything I've heard, we've talked about it on the show before, Everything's been very positive about Jameis Winston as a person. And when he came here, I think everyone had a lot of uh, impressions of him from afar. And the Saints have had nothing but a positive experience so far. Now, does that mean he's going to be the quarterback that leads this team back to the promised land? I don't know. I mean, that's one thing to be a nice guy. It's another thing to to be an elite NFL-level quarterback. So we're going to find out. But I think it was a very positive first impression for a lot of fans who got to see him really open up. And it shows that he's smart enough to have the intuition to learn from Drew Brees. I mean, that's a big first step. A lot of guys come in and don't get it. He clearly gets it as far as uh, learning from a Hall of Famer. I thought it was real, you know, so much to unwrap there about that conversation, but there was a there was kind of a telling moment. You could tell that that repetition, doing things over and over again was something really in his mind. And that he was, he was, you know, when he was asked about decision makings, for example, and ways that maybe the Sean Payton offense might be able to enable him to reduce the number of interceptions that he had when he, when he was leading the NFL in pass yards. And the point that he made was that it's, it's less about the outcome of a single play, 
but it's about it's about the decisions you make in that play and that the good decisions will start to accrue over time. But you could literally see him expressing sort of a new mindset that's been tr- that's been given to him and I think he wanted I think he wanted you guys in the media to see that he was getting that and that it was a process and that what he's learning from that quarterback room and especially Drew Brees he intends to carry it with him for years to come at least that's the way he expressed himself did I capture that pretty well yeah I know I think you hit the nail on the head I mean I think that's the Sean Payton quarterback whisperer in his ear along with Pete Carmichael, Joe Lombardi to be in there last year. Uh, this Saints offensive staff is very experienced and uh, does a great job with teaching the quarterback position. I think it all comes from Sean Payton, who played the position. So I think his unique understanding and respect for what makes that position uh, successful uh, is one of the reasons why the Saints have a opportunity to be successful after Drew Brees left, where so many other organizations uh, struggle to replace a Hall of Fame quarterback. I think the Saints at least have an advantage in that their head coach played quarterback, so he has a keen understanding of what it takes to play that position and maybe maybe reduce the learning curve a little bit for uh, someone like Jameis. Well, for people who may be he- hearing this for the first time, um, you wrote the definitive book on the Sean Payton-Drew Brees era. And uh, you had tremendous ac- uh, access to these guys. You, you, the book is uh, it's a historical telling for sure, but it, the way you wrote the book ha- has a lot to do with how, how, how they think about this offense. And as you pointed out, you have to have a PhD in offense to, to be able to work in, in this offense. Now, that book is available for other media people to read, that's for sure. And that's going to provide them insights that might help them cover the Saints. But writing that book, and, and and the rigor of writing that book gave you incredible insights to how this transition might ultimately look. Do you feel like you got a little bit of competitive advantage when it comes to that? Certainly. I don't think there's any doubt in understanding and unlocking Saints offense and how it operates. I wanted to see how the sausage was made because it's so fascinating to me that the Saints have been able to be this dominant offensively for a decade and a half. It just doesn't happen, Ricky, at that level. It's very hard to do to keep evolving. Well, I mean, I think Sean Payton uh, and his knowledge of this offensive system and the, the continuity of the coaching staff will help whatever quarterback steps in there, if it's Jameis Winston or whoever, they'll tailor that offensive system to his strengths. And we talked about it last time on, on Coast View about how the Saints are already kind of tinkering with the personnel. They, they let Jared Cook and Josh Hill leave in free agency along with Emmanuel Sanders. All three of those players, Ricky, are good quality NFL players, but they're all in their 30s. They're not the fastest players. They're known for their route running, their precision, uh, you know, things that would complement a quarterback like Drew Brees. Well, now uh, you got a different quarterback there, so they're going to build this offense around Jameis Winston or Taysom Hill's strengths, and both of those guys have strong arms, so you might want runners, uh, receivers that can get downfield more often, uh, that have the speed to get behind the defense. So we're seeing this evolution of the Saints offense take place before our very eyes. You know, it's amazing to, to look back at Drew Brees' career at, in New Orleans. You know, he came in 2006, and, you know, it wasn't a fait complete that he was going to come here. And in some of the videos, tours that he's taken as, as he, you know, does his retirement parade, so to speak, on the way out, is uh, he he took a tour in the car 
uh, with a camera crew with his wife, and they told the story of driving around New Orleans um, it, it, as they were trying to think through where they're going to come to New Orleans and talked about a tugboat being in the in the road and all the devastation. And he came to the realization that he had to come here. And they, you know, he, he and his wife decided that coming to New Orleans is going to be more than just playing football. And it's a great story, really. But man, that was in 2006 that all this was playing out. And here we are in 2021. And Sean Payton, from that moment to to just now and did not have to ever think about a transition before. So think of what he learned along the way, what they learned from each other along the way. Think how much more refined shot Sean Payton is as a coach and how, you know, in a lot of ways he may be ready for this moment. He, he may be just licking his chops, thinking about the possibilities for the future and innovating and changing how this offense is going to do is something he's probably looking forward to. A hundred percent. I guarantee you, he is eager to tackle this challenge, and he knows it's a big challenge. Look, he, he he loved Drew Brees and respected Drew Brees as much or more than anyone, but there's a teacher in him and a coach in him that's excited about trying to build this offense and take it to another level quarterback and seeing if they can succeed and, and responding to the challenges that are ahead with someone different and a different skill set. So... I have no doubt that he's stimulated by this opportunity and sees it as just that, an opportunity, not a hurdle or or not something to back down from, but something to embrace. Well, well, let's do this. Uh, We're coming to the end of the segment together. But when we come back, uh, I want to talk about any other thoughts you have about the Saints and what you think some of the, you know, what other moves might be. And then uh, then I want to move to this piece that you wrote about the NCAA tournament, and uh, which I found very interesting. And uh, and there's some okay. First of all, that's your observation about that. But then it's the tournament in general. How's it playing out? Big surprises in your mind. We'll come back to that in a second. This is Jeff Duncan, and we'll see you after this break. Also, listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say, Alexa, open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. Talking to the people that help make the coast such a unique place to live. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. We have Jeff Duncan with us. He's a columnist and writer for The Athletic, and uh, really a kind of a sports expert, but he's covered the Saints longer than anyone else in history. And uh, before we shift gears to go to this incredible article that you wrote about the NCAA tournament, um, anything else you want to say about the Saints? No, well, look, we just dropped a story this week that uh, kind of blew up. It's kind of indirectly related to the Saints that Caesars Entertainment is now going to be the naming rights sponsor of the Superdome. So we don't know exactly what the name's going to be. If it's going to be Caesars Dome or the Caesars Palace Superdome, that's still undetermined. But Caesars, who's the parent company of Harrah's, which of course has the land-based casino right there in downtown New Orleans, they own Harrah's. They are really getting a, a strong toehold here in New Orleans. They've obviously got the hotel there. They have the footprint along Fulton Street. They now are going to be the, the title rights sponsor for 20 years 
Ricky. So the Superdome, that's good news for the Saints who get those naming rights revenues. The state allows them to market those deals, and it's going to help their bottom line. And it helps the state, too, because the money that the Saints get from that offsets the subsidies the Saints, uh, the state pays the Saints uh, to be in the Superdome. So this is a win-win for everybody. And we have Harris in, in coastal Mississippi. You'll pass the Harris location as you go to the Seafood Industry Museum. So, yeah, that's that's big news. Um, okay, so Jeff, the t- the headline for the article you wrote was this: Men's NCAA tournament has everything college football playoffs uh, does not. Now, I want people to understand something. Oftentimes you write something like this and you know, it's going to have some social media engagement and whatever, but tell your story of how you suddenly realize, holy mackerel, this thing hit a nerve and share some of the numbers. Yeah. Well, so Sunday night I was watching the Insta tournament, like a lot of people and uh, Oral Roberts had just upset. I think it was Florida. Uh, and it, it ended a string of upsets in that first round. I mean, we had, Abilene Christian beat the University of Texas. Think about that, Ricky. Abilene Christian beat the flagship school in the state of Texas. A Loyola Chicago beats the University of Illinois. These big flagship universities get knocked off. It's what makes the NCAA tournament so special. And I think that level playing field and that parity is uh, really attractive to sports fans. People like to pull for the underdog. And so I just tweeted out something about these upsets and how Yet college football, their college football championship, the, the CFP, um, really has become the same teams over and over. Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, Notre Dame, they've occupied 28 of the 20, 20 of the 28 spots in the college football playoff semifinals and gone to four schools. So really, it, it's boring. It's become boring, I think, for the casual sports fans. So I tweeted out about that, making the comparison. Uh, it was late on Sunday night. Didn't think twice about it and got up the next morning and my timeline, I had, I was stunned. I mean, I have a pretty heavy social media presence, but nothing like this. And today, uh, as I look at my phone, it's uh, that tweet is over uh, 10,000, almost 11,000 retweets and almost 80,000 likes. It's the single most reaction I've gotten from a social media post in my career over that one that one little tweet, and I think it shows just how many other people feel the same way, that college football has become, at the elite level, really boring. And the way they decide their championship, the antiquated uh, way, a process of having a selection committee determine the four teams, uh, you know, it's just, it needs to be changed. It's the only sport that we have this way. All the rest of divisions of the levels of college football, Division Two, Division Three, the the FCS level, NAIA, and then above them at the NFL level, you have playoffs where you have anywhere from 24 to 32 teams. In the NFL level, it's it's a little less than that, obviously. The point is, it's the only one where they have four teams in a playoff, and there's got to be a way to make it more inclusive and 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 help the rest of the sport instead of these. Uh, you know, the the elite at the very, very top. I think it's made it very top heavy and and as a result, very boring. Well, I noticed that on just 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 on the athletic dot com, uh, the number of comments was well over 100. 
which, uh, you know, that usually you wouldn't see that on the website. You would see that within the social media domain. That's where you would see most of the comments. But actually, at theathletic.com, it's 108, I think, is the number that I saw. Um, you know, how do, how do we get from here to there? Because I think there's a lot of uh, incredible agreement about this point. But, but at the end of the day, the elite schools are controlling the conversation, aren't they? Yeah, so look, my, my proposal or solution would be, and this is controversial, would be to reduce the scholarship numbers at the Division I level. Right now, you have 85 scholarships for college football. That's way too many, Ricky. You don't need 85 for a football team. I mean, you think about it. There's 22 starters, 11 on each side of the ball. I guess you could throw in the, the special teamers, but that equates to basically a four-deep roster of scholarship players. There's no other sport close to that. Basketball, you start five players, you have 13 scholarships. So you basically have 2.5 uh, scholarships per starting spot. You have four in, in football. It's way too many. What that allows these big schools to do, like Alabama, is hoard all the talent. They get all the top players in there, and then they figure out who the best players are. And then there's the, the other ones transfer out, and they end up going to the lesser schools and it's, it's just a, a self-perpetuating cycle. The top players only want to go to the schools that go to the national championship playoff. And so they keep going to the same schools over and over. There's no incentive to go to another school because all the, the top schools have all the largesse. They have all the excess. They have all the best coaches, all the best facilities. And that's all been systematically built into the system where these schools keep getting all the top players and all the top coaches. There's no way, and my argument was, you can't be a Florida State. If you remember, before Bobby Bowden got there, Florida State was an independent, used to be a women's school. And he built them into a power over time by going on the road and playing Notre Dame and LSU and Ohio State and beating them on the road. And they suddenly became a power and then they got accepted in the Atlantic Coast Conference and now they're an elite school. You can't do that anymore. And that's the problem. It's built in where you can't join the country club if you're Southern Miss, for example. It's impossible yeah. to become another Florida State. Well, I tell you, Jeff, what, what this kind of helps me, you know, what reminds me is how lucky we are to have you. You know, the fact that you're touching so many people across this nation with your writing and the people of Coastal Mississippi get to enjoy you here on Fridays. I really appreciate your friendship and partnership and the, the, the insights that we're getting are just incredible. And I look forward to, to many weeks to come. But we're out of time for today. Have a great weekend, my friend. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Ricky. Everybody have a great weekend. Look forward to next week. You bet, buddy. Take care uh, and have a great weekend. Follow Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Super Talk MS Coast 103.1. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.